Welcome to The Disappearing Mind, a unique podcast helping you find clarity and support along your dementia journey. Now, join National Dementia Trainer and Coach Don Platt for an all-new episode. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I am your host, Don Platt, and I am in the studio today joined by a colleague and friend, but more than that, by a daughter. A daughter who, like me, has taken care of her parents or is directing her parents' care. And today, Danielle and I are going to get into something that's near and dear to my heart, and that is memory care legislation or regulation in and around. So stay tuned, and I want you to welcome to the podcast, Danielle Dixon. Welcome, Danielle. Thank you so much, Don. I'm so pleased to be here today. Yeah. It's a really important topic. Very important. I think we have a lot to talk about, and... I'm hoping we're going to be able to bring up things that maybe people hadn't really thought about. I know that I've told you about my recent visit to Tallahassee. For those in the listening audience, I do live in Florida and I work, my corporate offices are in Florida. I have long been a voice and an advocate for memory care in general, not only as a professional and an expert, but as a daughter as someone who cares, as a nurse, as someone with a heart to see memory care in general shaped for the needs of those who have dementia and for their family. So Danielle, I know that you have some questions, you've worked some things out, but let me go ahead and set it up for our audience so that they kind of know what we're talking about. So recently I had the privilege of joining several colleagues, owners, operators of assisted living and memory care communities throughout the state of Florida at our state's capital, which is Tallahassee, for what we call advocacy days. And while we were there, we met with senators, uh, with legislators, with their aides, and we talked in and around the subject of memory care laws, regulation, what's uh, happening in the future, just really having a dialogue around operating a memory care community and what that should look like and what we should offer. So that's really what happened. I, I'll talk to you a little bit about my conversations and what we went over, but Danielle, what kind of things do you want to talk about today? Yeah, you know, someone being a lay person and not knowing much about what's going on in Tallahassee right now. What did you advocate for? What were your main priorities as a group? You were there with the Florida Senior Living Association, correct? Correct. That's correct. So let's talk about Florida Senior Living Association. So Florida Senior Living Association is an association that represents owners, operators, and those of us employed in the area of senior living that own and operate independent living, senior living, and memory care communities throughout the state of Florida. And I believe that they're around 500 members strong. We work with legislators, senators and legislators, to put forth legislation and laws and guidelines and standards for our industry and for the care of individuals who have dementia. With that, each year, Our Florida legislature is in session, usually January through March. Sometimes it goes a little later or a little further in to put forth discussions and put into law and regulate some of the things in and around all the laws in Florida, but in our case, in and around senior living. So last week we were in Tallahassee 
talking together, having discussions and meeting with senators and legislatures to talk about what that looks like and where we're going. So what questions do you have, Danielle? What would you say were the top things that you discussed and what did that look like? Did you go door to door and meet with them in their office? Did you make presentations to them? How do you generate that awareness and education for the memory care topics that are so important for them to gain awareness on? Well, in the legislature, they're broken up into committees and the committee leads talk with their constituents and talk about some of the needs and what's going on. They talk to the agencies throughout Florida, including what we call ACA, the Administration for Healthcare Association in Florida. And they talk about what they have faced as far as regulation goes. And they really regulate us as an entity. They're our check and balance that we're operating correctly, that we're meeting standards, that we're doing what we need to do. And they report back to the governor and also to those who make rule and law in our state. And that's really how they began to formulate ideas and thoughts on what issues they're going to tackle each year. With that, there were three that we kind of talked about. Not all of those are going to be presented as law, but I think that if you remember back to your middle school or high school, how a law is made, they began by having a conversation. And so the conversations that we had and the discussions that we had in our groups and committees was in around three areas. And one of those areas are very impactful, and that's litigation. So litigation in and around suing providers or operators that might be considered frivolous. So I'm probably not going to be the expert on that, but I will say that in the discussions, they talked about setting boundaries as far as what you could be sued for, who could be sued, maybe some boundaries on dollar amounts. And I think that what the important thing about that is, is that we are always advocating for healthcare providers. We obviously have a shortage of beds and care available in this state and probably every state in the union to meet the needs of the growing numbers of dementia individuals that we're seeing. So we obviously are concerned about that, that someone would want to own and operate under quality. So setting those standards, which other healthcare providers have, such as nursing homes and hospitals, there are borders and parameters in and around that of what they can be sued for. And I think bigger than just what they can and the allotments is the burden of proof. That was a very interesting conversation mm -hmm. that I enjoyed because I think everybody wants to have the ability to go after someone who has done something wrong or given poor care or whatever. So the bill really isn't about that. It's about having some boundaries and can you be sued for every little thing? And the, the reason that's so important is obviously some of the operators don't have endless pocketbooks if they could constantly be sued for anything without a burden of proof, they would go out of business. Right. And there's already a shortage of beds right now. Already a shortage. But at the same token, you and I are both daughters with a family member who have dementia. So I like to look at it from that perspective. And I know that you're newer at this than I am. And obviously I have the background. 
what are some of your questions or concerns in and around that? I mean, I don't want it to be said, oh, well, they can't be sued. Of course, we wouldn't want that. We want to demand quality care and we want there to be legal actions available if our parents were neglected in any way. But Uh what are your thoughts on that, Danielle? Yeah, I think in this case, you're talking about lawsuits that are out of the control of the provider and out of the control of the operator, correct? Yes. Are there examples that you gave maybe that you talked about so that um, legislators understood? Yeah, I I think that the operators really said that there's no bound. So they didn't want to ask that they couldn't be sued, but they said there was no limits of liability and there was no limit on who could be sued. They could go and sue, let's say, a resident. I think the an example was given. A resident was in an assisted living or memory care, and they had an incident where they went to the hospital, and then they went to a skilled nursing before returning. In the lawsuit, they could actually essentially sue all three, hmm. the hospital, the nursing home, and come back and sue the senior living. I think with that, there are no boundaries. And I think that what the legislation is looking at doing is setting some boundaries of who could be sued, obviously the guilty party. And what are the boundaries? Well, I would think in any case, you would have to have proof that there was something, the burden of proof would have to lie on determining guilt. And so that was pretty interesting. I had no idea that that existed. And there are hospitals are regulated and there are boundaries and legalities. And so are skilled nursing. So it really isn't around senior living. For me, as a daughter, I think it's important that I should know what to expect. I should know what the law is. And I should know that my mother would have rights. Right. right? And that there's regulations around at the same level as hospitals or skilled nursing. Right. Exactly. So I think that that clarity really speaks more to knowing and having the boundaries set versus whether or not you could be sued. Obviously, wrongdoing deserves some legal action. Right. And then you mentioned about just the lack of regulations around memory care, which is quite scary to hear. Yeah. As a yeah. daughter and someone new to dementia, that's just in the beginning of the journey. What are we looking at for the future? What regulations are there now and what regulations need to happen? And what were you able to tell legislators that they could do to help impact that? So I think every year, the healthcare industry, the senior living industry, and those of us who operate in that arena are always looking at setting a standard. Most senior livings have an assisted living and memory care, but they're separate. They're separate even under one roof. They usually have separate staff. The memory care is secured. They're not the same entity. And there's a reason behind that. And it's called dementia. It's not just the dementia diagnosis, but it's the parameters of safety and support that an individual would need to have. Really, memory care is a fairly young healthcare program. I mean, it's been around a while, but not all that long. And typically we have been regulated under assisted living regulation clumped together. And I think that as dementia is growing as rapidly as it is growing, as rapidly as the baby boomers are maturing, we're finding a greater measure of need for memory care, as well as a lot of new and mixed dementias that maybe 10 years ago we didn't see. So I think that the dialogue is around how do we separate, do we need to separate the regulation 
and the rules and standards. And mm-hmm. personally, my vote is yes. But what are those? How should they look different than assisted living, which typically has been a social model? How do they look different? Well, they're a little bit more healthcare in nature. They're a little bit more therapeutic in nature. They're certainly honed in on diagnostics, you know, that diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Really, memory care regulation is a fairly young topic in all states across the nation. Awesome. So that was the two things. So you said basically the top things you're advocating for were about legislation around the lawsuits that can happen in memory care specifically and then looking at the current regulations and standards and setting those for the future. What would you say was the third top thing you talked about? I know there's been a lot of buzz in the media recently about senior living in general, just a lot of misinformation out there for someone that's an expert like you in the industry. Can you explain what you were able to tell legislators about what it's really like in in the communities? Yeah, so there has been a lot of things in the media I won't name the articles or the very large newspaper provider in the nation that has written some articles that were not very favorable. And let me just say that I am an advocate for individuals with dementia and their families first. I am also a daughter first of a mother who has dementia. But not only were they not favorable, they weren't totally accurate. And I think that it casts fear mm-hmm. over daughters like you and I. It also casts fear of, of the family in general. And it could lead to rules and regulations that maybe don't meet the measure of the place that we want to go as a nation or as in providing memory care. And so with that, my thought and in talking to my colleagues and other professionals is we should be a part of the conversation and we should bring forth all the facts. The articles were in and around elopement. So let me just describe what that is in regards to memory care. So this is obviously someone with Alzheimer's disease or related dementias or behaviors who lived in a senior living community and for whatever reason went out the secure areas and ended up in a bad situation On an occasion, there was death that occurred due to frigid weather and other means. And we've talked about exit seeking and elopement on other podcasts, and I'd like to really cover it there. But the numbers that they quoted made them seem so much larger than they are. And let me say, I think it's horrid. Any death or loss is horrific. I don't agree with it. I don't minimize it at all. But I think when you look at the bigger picture, If people could not access memory care, where Mm. people are trained to take care of individuals and provide security, you would see those numbers be astronomical. Mm, And so I think you have to look at the large picture. And in comparison, the numbers you're seeing are minimal as compared to what the numbers would be if you looked at no care, Right. right? No care. We both have friends we've talked about on this podcast, who have struggled at home trying to keep their loved ones safe. The loved one who exit seeks, who's out of control, who's not behaviorally managed well, is a nightmare for a family who's just trying to do the best thing that they can do. So their life is always at risk, whether they get in their car and drive off and they're gone and they get an accident or they get out and get lost and 
drowned or, I mean, these cases are real. In the scope of things, those numbers are minimal compared to the big picture. And yeah, or they could be, right? None of us would just leave our loved one abandoned on their own because there are things that could happen that would be tragic for them. I think you have to look at it that way. And then you have to look at the overall number of people who are in memory care, who are in assisted living, who could fall in that category as compared to those who have gotten out and died. That number is very, very small. And I think that we have to look at that. But we also have to look at what can we do better and different in order that we can even minimize more of that happening. And I I think that that's the big picture. And I can tell you, as someone who oversees a lot of memory care communities, the number of people that elope is fractional as compared to the number that could Hmm. if they did not have that supervision and security and support that memory care provides. Exactly. So was that a big wake up call to anyone that you spoke to there, legislators? I think so. And I think that one of the things that I want to say very clearly on the podcast, I am not against regulation, but I want to be part of the voice that helps to form that. Why? Because we, the daughters, we, the operators, we, the experts understand the big picture. Nobody wants to have regulations and rules come down by someone who operates a restaurant business, Mm -hmm. right? In healthcare business. So we just want to be at the table. We just want to shed light, bring numbers, talk about things accurately so that the legislation that's coming down that advocates for every family member, every person who has dementia are real and impactful. And I think that's the bottom line. Exactly. And I would say your organization in particular Florida being the hotspot of senior living is really making an impact. Do you partner, you know, nationally with any associations to help get your awareness out there to make a bigger impact around the country? Well, I've been a member of Florida Senior Living Association for some time. I have been a consultant for them in the ADRD arena. I have spoken Tallahassee. They are a voice in legislation. They represent the senior living industry, and they are very pro working with the federal government as well as state government in making sure that laws and regulation are in place that are factual and functional. So at the end of the day, people have choice. And and that's the interesting part. Most senior living communities, now not all, not all, really do not take Medicare or Medicaid dollars. Now, many senior living, I guess middle, I'm going to call them middle operators, do take some Medicaid dollars. But for the most part, we are a private pay industry. So our customer has choice. Mm -hmm. And I think transparency to our customer is important because you have choice. When you private pay or you rent, you have choice of where you go and what they provide. I think we're looking at the end of the day to really standardize and bring quality to our industry and offer choice. Obviously, not everyone wants the same thing or can afford the same thing. So Florida Senior Living Association works in the state of Florida, but they also work nationally with a much bigger organization called Argentum. Mm -hmm. 
And so there are many voices across the United States that are working and they're experts to really impact where the nation is going in regards to memory care. That's wonderful. I mean, it's something that affects pretty much everyone that you meet. It seems like recently when you were in Tallahassee speaking to legislators, did they open up to you? Did they share their stories? Oh my, all of us are impacted by this disease. We have a guest in the studio with us today. She's impacted as well. So all three of us, perhaps even our technician, I have not asked, but we're all impacted. Rarely do you meet a senator or legislator who's not impacted, if not an immediate, a distant family member or friend. Yes, I did. I actually was in the office of a legislature uh, here in the state of Florida, and I'm going to keep it confidential, who has two parents. One resides in skilled nursing and the other is in a memory care community. Immediately, it was a personal impact for this individual. They understood what this means and they understood how personal it can be and how important it is that there be laws and regulations around this kind of care, that there be standards around this kind of care. It got emotional. I will say that there were tears. When it impacts you personally, it means something. So I'm very proud to represent memory care in general, and it's so good to engage with people making laws in our state and in our nation who have a personal interest in setting a standard and providing quality. So it's someone like you and me that it's a personal thing, Mm -hmm. right? And that's what really makes a difference. It really humanizes it. It's not just regulations coming across their desk. Yes. Yeah. There's a person behind it. Yeah. There's a big difference when it impacts you personally. I'm going as an advocate and I work for a company, obviously, that operates a lot of memory care, but I'm also a daughter and I am passionate about making a difference in a memory care arena for people who have dementia. So being that voice, and I'd say to our listening audience, you are a voice, get involved, Mm -hmm. get involved. How can they get involved? I think that they can talk to their healthcare providers. They can certainly talk to their representatives. They can ask questions. We've talked about that before. As a daughter, if you ever consider, if you're going to consider memory care, don't you want to know what the license is, what the standard is, what you could kind of expect in staffing and operators and What about security? We don't want unlicensed people opening up memory cares and not have the training or security that they need. I think being involved, whether it's through your support group or the Alzheimer's Association or just watching, watch what's going on in your county and in your state. And all of this is public information, what's on the books and voice your opinion. We have public television that televises what's going on in the capitals throughout the United States so we can find out. I think it makes a difference when it's personal to you. It does. And it almost makes you feel like you have a little more control probably. Yeah. Because something that's so out of control when you're dealing with dementia, being able to be a voice for your parent, for your loved one, I'm sure that feels really good. And Danielle, I know that your dad is in the early stages and you're not really at that point yet, but Don't you think you'd be able to make better decisions if you knew the whole picture in the future? Mm -hmm. And don't you think you would base decisions on maybe what those laws and regulations were? Yeah, I absolutely would. I mean, 
I could, I know that in skilled nursing, they're ranked and that really plays a part in decision-making about where you want your parent to go. Cause uh-huh. you're looking at a quick list of everything available and seeing, okay, this one's got fives. This one's got ones. I'm going to go with the community that's ranked a five. Yeah. So yeah. I could see that for memory care too. If there's standards and regulations put in place and there's an easy way to do your research, that's really important to have. Very, very important. And there was one topic that came up. I'll just throw it out there and we'll talk about it a little bit in regards to staffing. Because we're mostly private pay, there are staffing standards in every state and owners and operators have to operate within that standard. But premier memory care communities may operate well above that standard. One of the operators said, you know, I think that families have the right to ask that question. How do you staff? What's your staffing ratios? And I think it's a common question, but let me just throw something out there at you. When you ask how do they staff and what their staffing standards are, I think one of the things as a clinician myself that I would ask is what kind of care needs do the residents who reside in your memory care need? So if you have 24 memory care residents, but they're all pretty high functioning, obviously your staffing ratios can be lower because they're walking around, they're able to eat and dress themselves. Yes, they might need security and support and queuing and prompting. But if you go into a neighborhood where they have people with much higher care needs and maybe multiple wheelchairs and walkers, you're obviously going to need more staffing to support them toileting and going to the dining room and all of those kinds of things. So it's not just about a number. Let's say you went into a neighborhood and they were 15, but nine of those people were wheelchair bound and the same staffing standard, it might take two people to transfer some of these people. So obviously you would expect that your ratio would be higher than those who just need queuing and prompting and go to programming and that kind of thing. So it's bigger than just that number. And that's what I want families to know. Know the needs of your loved one. Know the neighborhood that you're looking at. Do they match? What kind of residents already reside there? And how does your loved one fit in? And do they have programming for your particular residents' needs that are going to meet them where they are in an engaging and meaningful kind of way? Just a number in itself is not going to give us what we want as family members. Right. So yeah. one size doesn't fit all. It sounds no, like. no. So uh, you don't want regulations around that because you want the community to make the best decisions for the care and level of care they need at that moment. Absolutely. And you're managing right now, mom and dad, and you know, dad's not total care. You know, the parameters of what kind of support he needs mm-hmm. or how he do if you set something up or how you and your sister are managing the piece right now, which will change in the future. But right now, you know how to do that. It's the same sort of thing you want to look at. You don't want it just to be standard. Okay. You have dementia and now this is the numbers and this is what the memory care is going to operate under. It really doesn't work that way. That makes a lot of sense because on the surface, it could look good Yeah. to say that, okay, there needs to be one care person yeah. for every five mm-hmm. dementia patients. But when you explain it like that, it makes a lot of sense and, Yes, and could often put communities out of business and that's what we Absolutely. don't want because no, we, don't. We, we need more beds. We can't you know, right. have any, any more closed down. Yeah, we need that. And that's why tours are really important. Looking at two or three communities, looking at the needs of your loved one and what they provide. Are, is your loved one going to 
fit in? And I mean, is there something there for them? All of those things are really, really important to be able to look at and know that their care needs are going to change. You may not know when. It may be quite a while before their care needs will change. And I think that that's important. I like to see care available to all. And let's face it, we're not in the same financial boat. We can't all afford the same things. We need to have the smaller communities Mm -hmm. available that are more reasonable and accessible in price, as well as the large operators, which do fabulous work and they're state of the art, but they're all the in-betweens. When you need care, you need to access affordable care, no matter what your income is. Right. But quality care too, you want it to be Absolutely. You know, at a standard. So there does there do need to be standards or do need to be regulations. Absolutely. Yeah. And there are some. There are some regulations in and around memory care in the state of Florida. Yeah, I think they're gonna be clearer parameters going forward. Nice. So what do you see for the future for the Florida Senior Living Association and what kind of impact do you hope to make? I really like working with the folks at the Florida Senior Living Association because I think that They are trying to set a quality standard. There's a lot of checks and balances. They represent the voice of not only the owner operator, but the training uh, provisions and regulations that we want to see required for people who advertise and operate even small memory care communities. So we want to see that standard set that you have to have A, B, and C before you can open a memory care. You have to provide this kind of background screening and this kind of training. I see them being able to be a strong voice in what that looks like. And I think that we will be able to educate our senators and legislatures who will make the laws, righteous laws and laws that are going to ensure quality care. And and I think that Florida Senior Living is going to be a major part of partnering with healthcare advocacy groups and healthcare organizations throughout the state and nation to make sure that we're doing the best thing for the customer as well as the provider. So I understand the political um, committee has a campaign and they help raise funds to back some of these bills that you're, we're not in a in that stage right now, you were just lobbying and right. speaking about things, but what kind of laws have been put in place in the past, thanks to some of your, the work of this organization over the last, it's what, about 10 years now? I think the most prevalent kinds of regulation, and it's not heavy regulation, but they really kind of set the stage for future regulation, meaning that having the dialogue around having laws and regulations, minimums, minimum standards at who can open, where they can open and operate, what they can advertise they can do. You have to provide a certain size building and apartment. You have to regulate temperatures. You have to provide nutritious meals. You have to be staffed. You have to have CPR guidelines and Mm -hmm. all of those things. So I think that Florida Senior Living has been instrumental in that. And they've also impacted things like labeling an individual. I mean, we know, and yeah, I don't know if you've been there yet or not, but I know that our friends have. And that is when a person 
is diagnosed or maybe they've had an out of control moment where they have been taken to the ER because they're really confused and out of it. And it was just because we were transitioning and isn't their everyday behavior. I think Florida Senior Living has been instrumental in not allowing someone to get labeled too quickly or advocating for letting the professionals assess and determine. If you were presented at the ER and and you were having a bad day or you had an infection and you were extremely confused, if that goes in your record and your label, that could just follow you everywhere. And indeed, we do know that behaviors can vacillate and are heavily influenced by medication not being titrated or infection. I think overall, having that healthy dialogue has really guarded our industry, but also pushed it to make sure that we're looking at quality year over year and making sure that we're raising the bar and the standard for individuals who have dementia. That's amazing. Thank you for everything you're doing. Oh, you're welcome. And thanks for joining me for this conversation in the studio today for our listening audience. I hope that this conversation has been valuable to you. Please visit our resource page and listen to the podcast, share the podcast with your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers to really talk about something that maybe in a different way is impactful to you. And until next time, this is Dawn Platt. Make it a memorable day. Thank you for joining us for the Disappearing Mind podcast. We hope it's helped you find clarity and support along your journey. Be sure to subscribe to never miss an episode, visit our website to suggest future topics, and share the podcast with friends and family.